For many of us in this room, if you will allow it, it could be one of the most transformational messages you've ever heard in your entire life. I wanna welcome those who are watching online, those who are watching by TV, those at our Mill Creek campus. Good morning to you. We're here at our Sugarloaf campus. Let me just tell you, one of the things that goes with being a pastor is you get to ask a lot of tough questions by people who attend your church. And uh, a few weeks ago, I got a text out of the blue from a man in our church. In fact, he's one of the men that I spent mentoring for a year. And it was filled with some really tough questions, and it was really tough because I've never been asked this question before. I want you to listen to what he texted. It was really deep. He said, what about the transformation power of the cross? Why are we not seeing it? Is it only me? I just do not see the transformational power of God at work right now in people who claim to follow him. I absolutely believe God is still at work, but where and who? Now you talk about tough questions. When I got that text, I just had to sit there for a while and I had to kind of mull over it. I had to kind of chew on it a little bit and I wrote in the best response I had at the time and I kept thinking about that text for several days and then one day it hit me and this is what I concluded and I wanna see if you agree with me or not. The power of God is so often missing from the lives of people who say they're believers who say they are Christians, because number one, we don't believe God the way God deserves to be believed. We don't obey God the way God demands to be obeyed. We don't love God the way God desires to be loved. And the reason why I believe that's true because I believe if we did, the church would look radically different than it does today. And I also believe the world would look at the church radically different than it does today. If you're a guest of ours, we're in the book of Ephesians, a book in the New Testament that we're calling unbelievable. Because when you read the book of Ephesians, there's not a book in the Bible that describes more what an unbelievable God that we worship. And the unbelievable things that God wants to do in us and with us and through us. If you have one of these, we give these out uh, regularly, gave them out first year, your little discipleship book. Our passage is in Ephesians 3. It's actually on page 28 today in your little book. And in Ephesians 3, there is a prayer that Paul prays. And you might think, you know, wow, you're preaching on a prayer. Yeah, I am. Because in this prayer, we're gonna find the solutions to the problems that was expressed in my friend's text message. And here's what I wanna tell you. If we would begin to pray to God, the way that Paul prays in this prayer. And we would really believe that God would do for us and in us what we're gonna pray for. I really believe we would see the transforming power of God unleashed in our lives and in our churches what we've never seen before. In fact, I'm gonna make a very bold statement. I've read the Bible through many, many times. I don't say that to brag, but I've read, and you would expect that as a pastor, right? I've read the Bible through many times. I wanna tell you, As I worked on this message several weeks ago, it hit me. I don't believe there's been a more powerful prayer ever prayed in history than the one we're going to study today. Now you might say, well, that's a pretty broad statement. How do you know that? What makes you think that? Well, believe it or not, it's because of the way Paul begins the prayer. Here's how Paul begins. Now listen to this. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, simple question. Why does Paul tell me why, what posture he's in? Like I care, like you care. What does it matter, Paul, that you're 
kneeling. Why is Paul letting us know? I want you to know that when I'm praying this prayer, I'm actually on my knees because that's not an unusual thing. We've all knelt to pray at one time or another. But why does Paul go out of his way to let us know, hey, I'm kneeling as I pray this prayer? Well, it's because it's something you may not probably realize, but it's never been customary for Jews to kneel in prayer. That is not the customary way they pray. Some of you have been with me to Israel, and if you ever get to go with me, we go to the Wailing Wall of the Western Wall. And so you'll know this. The way Jews pray, you'll see rabbis there, you'll see Orthodox Jews there, you'll see people there pray. Here's the way they pray. They stand up and they rock back and forth. That's the way they pray. What, you, know, you ever wonder why they do that? That's the way Jews have prayed for thousands of years. That's why you won't read very often of people kneeling when they pray. There's nothing wrong with it. That's just not the normal way that people pray. It's not the normal way that Jewish people pray. They always pray standing. So what Paul was saying was, the prayer that God taught me, the prayer that God gave me is so earth-shaking, it is so revolutionary, it is so life-changing, it literally drove me to my knees. I really didn't feel I could do the prayer justice by standing on my feet, sitting in a chair. It literally drove me to my knees. Now keep in mind, Paul is writing this prayer. He's in prison, he's in a Roman prison. He doesn't know whether the day he's writing this prayer will be the last day he'll ever live. And unlike us, where we spend most of our time praying for things that we want or things that we need, he wasn't praying for protection. He wasn't asking God to get him out of the prison. He wasn't asking God to spare his life. As a matter of fact, his prayer had nothing to do with what he wanted God to do for him. It had everything to do with what he wanted God to do in him and what he wanted God to do in the church. Now, let me just give you a really strong statement. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, this is going to be an uncomfortable message for some of you to listen to because it was uncomfortable for me when I was dealing with it myself. You can tell a lot about your spiritual maturity with God by what you pray for and how you pray it. You, you just, just take the last week of your life. Tell me what you prayed for and tell me how you prayed for it. And I can pretty much tell you how spiritually mature you are. Let me give you an example. Max Lucado, the famous author, and an organization called Lifeway teamed up a few years ago, and they did a survey, and they asked about 1,000 Protestants, what do you pray for? It was fascinating. Listen to this. Some of these were, you know, noble. For example, 51% of, of Protestants said they prayed for their own sin. It's good. 46% said they prayed for their enemies. Now, they didn't say what they prayed for. They just said they prayed for their enemies. 44% prayed for people in natural disasters. So I'm getting kind of encouraged. Well, that's good to know people pray like that. But then listen to this. 20% said they pray every day to win the lottery. 14% prayed for God to avenge someone who hurt them. 11%, listen to this, I couldn't believe this, 11% prayed for their favorite team to win. God, forgive me, I'm so sorry, I repent. 9%, not making this up, 9% prayed that God would help them find a good parking spot. 7% prayed not to get caught speeding. Now, now let's be honest, let's, all, let's just be, let's be transparent. I've got the same problem you've got. How often do you come to prayer and we got these two problems? Number one, we don't really know how to pray, so that's why we don't pray a lot. And that's what we do, we don't pray very long. We really don't know how to pray. And then number two, we don't know what to pray for. 
We, we really don't know what to pray for. And so what you'll find is a lot of times, prayers like, it's like we're throwing stuff against the wall and we hope it sticks. We've all prayed at times and, and deep down we're wondering, I hope you're listening. I, I hope you're hearing me. I hope you'll give me what I'm asking for. I hope you'll do what I want you to do. And what we're going to see today is, is the greatest prayer. Listen, the greatest prayer you will ever pray and the prayer that you can know always makes a direct connect with God is the prayer that comes from God. Did you hear that? The prayer that you can always pray that you know will always make a direct connect to God is the prayer that comes from God. And here's the promise I'm gonna make to you because I'm doing it in my own life. If you will pray this prayer every day, if you will believe it and you'll live like it's true, you cannot help but live a radically transformed life. Now, I'm gonna make a statement before I do. Here's the next statement I wanna make and this is gonna color everything I say. There are some of you, and I'm not being negative, I'm being realistic, I'm a pastor, I've been around the block. There are some of you that will not want to pray the prayer we're gonna talk about today. You know why? Because it will radically change you. It will change the way you handle your money. It will change the way you look at other people. It will change the way you live your life. It will change the language that you use. It will change the attitudes that you carry around. It will radically change you. Now, having said that, let me make this statement. We don't always get what we pray for, but we always get what God wants us to pray for. We don't always get what we pray for, but we always get what God wants us to pray for. And what you're gonna see, this is a one-size-fits-all prayer that you can pray for yourself and you can pray for anybody, anywhere, anytime, under any circumstance, and you'll know you're making a direct connect to God. You'll know God's hearing your prayer. You'll know God will answer your prayer. And I'm telling you, you cannot pray a better prayer than this one. So here's what I've done. I've divided the prayer up into four simple requests. And I, when I get up every morning, and I've done this ever since I worked on this message, I pray this every day, and I'm telling you, it has absolutely changed my life. So if you're one of those people that say, man, I don't know how to pray, and I don't know what to pray for, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna beg you and plead you, write down these four things. First thing you pray, number one, God, strengthen me through your spirit. Strengthen me through your spirit. Now, Paul begins his prayer in a way that we rarely ever begin our, if, if ever begin ours. You know, usually when we pray, let's all be honest, usually when we pray, why are we praying? Because we want God to do something for us, heal us, bless us, provide us for us, take care of us. But here's the interesting thing. Paul does not ask God to do something for us. He asks God to do something in us. So here's how he begins his prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, now, you would think, some preachers would say this, that out of his glorious riches, he would give you that Mercedes. He'd give you that mansion. He'd give you that $500,000 a year job. He'd give you that Rolex watch. He'd give you that diamond necklace. He doesn't say that. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I told you we're gonna be honest. I thought about this the other day. Think about all the prayers you've ever prayed in your life. Just, just kind, of, kind of think about it. All the prayers you've ever prayed. If you'll think about it, they usually will always fall under three requests or three categories, okay? Number one, heal me. 
If you don't believe this, get, in, get, get with a group of people and do this. We do it in our staff meeting. It's true in our staff meeting. We'll say, okay, who has any prayer requests? You know what you hear most of the time? Sick people. Yeah, hey, hey, my, my uncle's about to have a surgery. Would you pray for my uncle? My, my wife just has a lump on her breast. Would you pray it's not cancerous? Hey, my little boy has mononucleosis. He can't play football. It's always heal me. You know, ask God to, to heal people. So number one, heal me. That's the first request. Second request, hand me. Hey, I, I, um, my bank account's just empty. God, I need you to come through. I, I, I really do need you to, to put money in my bank account. Lord, I really do want to be able to buy that new car. I want to be able to buy, buy that new house. This is my dream house, and I want to buy the house. So we've got a material need. God, hand me, okay? Then the third one is help me. God, I, help me as I go to this interview because I really, really do need that job. Job, uh, God, please keep me safe as I'm traveling down to Florida this week on business. Lord, help me to get this thing done or help me to do this. Now, let me just make sure you understand something. There is nothing wrong with any of those prayers. I'm not knocking those prayers. But if we're honest, that's really, you, you take up everything you pray for, it's either heal me, hand me, or help me. Nothing wrong with those. But here's what they all have in common. God, I need you to do something for me. Always something for me. Paul comes along and his first prayer was not for health or wealth. It was not what God could do for us. It was what God could do in us. It was for inner strength. It was for inner power. And by the way, it's not coincidental that this is the first thing he prays. You know why this is the first thing he prays? Because Paul knew something, just like I know. Unless you are daily, continuously, listen, unless you are daily, continuously strengthened by the power and the Spirit of God, you cannot walk with God, you cannot work for God, you cannot witness for God, you cannot even worship God the way you should. Only the power of God can enable you to live for God. Let, let me give you an illustration. Suppose somebody were to come to you and they were to say to you, hey, I want you to start writing plays like Hamlet or write a play like Romeo and Juliet. I want you to write a play just like that. You know what you'd say? You'd say, I can't do that. I mean, Shakespeare could do it, but I can't do it. And in the same way, you know what would be foolish for me to do? It'd be foolish for me to tell you, now I want you to start reading the gospels and I want you to see the way Jesus lived his life and then I want you to go out and live just like Jesus. I mean, you'd say, Jesus could do it, but but I can't do it. You're right. However, if somehow I could take the genius of Shakespeare and I could put it in your head, you could write a play just like Shakespeare. And likewise, if you can take the power of God and the spirit of God and put it inside of you, you can live a life just like Jesus. You know, one of the excuses people give me for not becoming followers of Jesus is they'll, they'll, I'll share the gospel and I'll say, wouldn't you like to become a follower of Jesus? And they'll say, oh, I could never live up to that. I, 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 you know, I, I could never be good enough to live the Christian life. And the truth of the matter is, they're right. You can't. And here's the wonderful thing. God never asks us to. Not one time God never does that. How many, but here's the question. How many times from the time you get up in the morning until you time the time that you go to bed, how many times from the beginning of your day to the end of your day do you ask God, God, would you strengthen me with your spirit, by your might, in my inner man? And you know, let me tell you why that's so important. We all know this. Life's a battle. It's a battle for everybody. But here's the good news. You don't fight it alone. 
Life is full of burdens. We all have them, but you never carry them alone. I read a story the other day I thought was so good. I said, man, that's, that's a great way to illustrate this. There was a guy in Iowa and, and he, was, he ran off the road and his car went into a ditch. Well, a farmer came by and he said, sir, can you help me? And the farmer said, well, you know, you, you really need a team of horses to pull up that car. And I, I've only got one horse. His name's Dusty. He's old and he's blind. But he said, I'll, I'll see what Dusty can do. Now, don't expect a lot, but I, I'm sure Dusty will give his best. So the farmer hitched Dusty up to the car. He began to crack a whip in the air and he said, pull, Jimmy, pull. And Dusty never moved. So he snapped the whip again and he said, pull, Sammy, pull. And the horse didn't move. He cracked the whip a third time. He said, pull, Charlie, pull. And Dusty never moved, just sat there. Then he snapped the whip a fourth time. He said, pull, Dusty, and with a mighty tug, that old blind horse pulled that car right out of that ditch. Well, the grateful driver was so, you know, he's so excited. He, he shook the farmer's hand. He said, man, I want to thank you for freeing my car. But he said, I don't understand something. He said, Dusty never moved. You kept calling him by all those different names. Why didn't you just call him Dusty from the beginning? And the farmer said, well, remember, Dusty's blind. He can't see. And he said, if he thought he had to do it all by himself, he would have never even tried. See, you'll get that about 12 this morning. Listen, I thought it was good. Look, we don't live the Christian life alone. We don't pull the loads of life alone. We don't carry the burdens of life alone. We don't fight the battles of life alone. We have at our disposal 24-7 the power and the strength and the might of the Holy Spirit. And there's an even greater reason, by the way, why you've got to have this spiritual strength. Because when you read this prayer, there's a part of this prayer you would have missed if I didn't point it out to you because I had missed it for almost all my life. I never noticed it. Paul said, let's pray that God would strengthen us by his spirit in our inner man. Why, Paul? Watch this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you know your stuff, you're thinking right now, that's odd. <laughs> Matter of fact, this is the only place in all the Bible that ever speaks of Jesus living in our heart. I, I bet you didn't know that. I didn't know it. It's the only time the Bible ever talks about it. Now, here's why you'd think that's odd. Paul, you're talking to Christians. You're, you're talking to people in the church. I mean, isn't that what a Christian is? Don't we say a Christian is someone where Jesus is living in their heart? Why would you say you need to be filled, you need to be strengthened, you need to be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your heart? Why are you even saying that? And then I did my homework. There are two words in the Greek language for the word dwell. One word means to live in a place where you're really a stranger and a foreigner and you really don't feel at home. You're, you're, you're in the house, but you're not of the house. It, it's kind of like you take a job overseas for a year and you know you're coming home in a year and you rent an apartment because that's kind of where you're going to live. You never really feel at home in that apartment. You never really settle down because you know you're really going to go somewhere. You're going to go back home later. And so you're kind of there, but you really don't feel at home. That's not the word Paul uses. The word Paul uses here for dwell is a word that means to live in a place where you feel right at home, where you want to settle down, where you never want to leave. And here's what Paul is saying. The only heart where Jesus really feels at home is a heart that is strengthened with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you. Listen, 
This really got to me when I read it. There's a difference. Now listen to careful what I'm about to tell you. If you don't hear anything else, hear this, listen. There's a difference between Jesus being in the house of your heart and Jesus feeling at home in your heart. Now you wanna be asked a tough question, let me ask you a question. The way you lived your life just this past week, would Jesus have felt right at home in your heart? The places you went, the things you looked at, the language you used, the attitudes that you had, the way you looked at other people, treated other people? Would Jesus have been right at home in your heart? Are you living a life that's so strengthened by the Spirit of God, so filled with God's power, Jesus goes, man, I feel right at home in your heart. God, strengthen me through your Spirit. Then he says this, God, load me with your love. Load me with your love. Now, this prayer is kind of like a set of steps, okay? And each step takes you deeper and deeper with God. So he says, God, would you strengthen me by your spirit so that Christ would feel at home in my heart? Then he says this, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, here's what Paul was saying. How do you know when you're really filled with the Spirit of God, strengthened by the Spirit of God? How do you know that you're controlled by the Spirit of God? It's real easy to find out. You ready? Here it goes. When you are controlled by the Spirit of God, you'll be consumed by the love of God. You'll be consumed by the love of God. And Paul uses both an agricultural term and an architectural term to illustrate how much the love of God ought to consume us. You remember, hear what he said? He said, we ought to be rooted and established in love. Now, why did he say that? Well, a root, you know what a root is? It's what gives a tree strength. And what Paul says every day, sink your life deep, deep down. Sink the roots of your life deep down into the soil of God's love. And then he says it needs to be established or grounded. And that refers to the foundation of a building. You know, a foundation gives a building stability. And Paul says the foundation of everything we do and everything we say ought to be love. I'm not an architect, but I knew a little, a little bit about architecture. Any architect will tell you the higher a building you want to build, the deeper the foundation you've got to lay. The lower and the deeper you go, the higher and the farther you can go. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying the point is this, the deeper you go in your love for God, the higher you will go for the glory of God. And the reason why that's so important is this, and I've learned it. Only loving God will give you the strength to deal with difficult people. By the way, you know that's about half my job. I'm not being, I mean, half my job is dealing with difficult people. That just goes to the territory. Loving God gives you the strength to deal with difficult people. Loving God gives you the stability to weather difficult problems. So what you really love, and listen, this is why Paul said, I want you to be rooted in love. I want you to be grounded in love. Why? Because here's the truth. And this is what's gonna make some of us very uncomfortable, including me. What you really love is a lot more important than what you really believe. You heard me. What you really love is more important than what you really believe because whatever captures your heart 
will control your feelings and it will control your behavior. See, what your heart loves the most, your mind will reason out, your emotions will feel out, and your will will act out. One of my favorite pastors and authors is Tim Keller. Tim Keller put it this way. He says, what makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. What they love the most, more, less, and least. That is more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your love show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. I'm gonna, that's so good. Your love show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. People therefore change not by merely changing their thinking, but by changing what they love the most. Can I give you a very practical example that is gonna make some of you uncomfortable? I could stand up here and I'm blue in the face. I could show you every scripture verse in the Bible about giving. I could tell you what the Bible teaches about tithing. I could share that verse that Jesus says, more blessed to give than it is to receive. I could give you principle after principle after principle that God's your source and God's your strength and God's your supply and you don't own it anyway. It all belongs to him. And you know what I have found? I've done it for 40 years. It doesn't move the needle one inch. If you're not giving to God financially right now or you're not tithing right now, let me tell you the number one reason why you're not. You just don't love God the way you ought to love God. Now, if that makes you mad, you apologize, I'll forgive you. You just don't love God the way you ought to love God. Because when you finally get to the point where you say, I love you more than I love my money. I love you more than I love buying that new car. I love you more than I'm buying that new house. I love you more than anything else in the world. Then tithing's not a struggle. Tithing is easy. And he's exactly right. Love controls everything. And then, because the truth of the matter is this, our affections determine our actions. And then Paul prays that we would have, this is so cool. He said, I pray you'd have the strength to comprehend how great God's love is in its width, in its length, in its height, in its depth. And what he was saying was, there is no love like the love of God. It hit me the other day. God's love is so broad, it spreads over the entire world. It is so long, it stretches to every person. It is so deep, it sinks to the lowest sin. It is so high, it soars all the way to heaven. I was reading about the farthest galaxy we've ever discovered. It's 13.8 billion light years old. It's 13.8 billion light years away. Then I read where the deepest depth in the world is called the Challenger Deep. It's part of a trench. It is 6.85 miles beneath the U.S. territorial island of Guam. And I read about, here's that farthest galaxy up there. Here's the deepest point down there. And it hit me. God's love reaches from the zero gravity of space to the 1,000 times atmospheric pressure of the deepest sea. His love goes beyond the border of time. It goes beyond the border of space. And then Paul's not finished. He goes on to pray something else. He says, I pray that we would know this love of Christ. And then he says something strange that surpasses knowledge. What? Wait a minute. How do you know something you can't know? How, how can you know something that's beyond knowledge? And what Paul was saying was, was, it's one thing to believe that God loves you. It's another thing to know that God loves you and to know that love. I used to think, I used to preach this, and I, by the way, I, I have preached certain things that are wrong, okay? In fact, I've only been wrong twice in my life. I've only been wrong once in my life. That's when I thought I was, but I wasn't. But anyway, that's just a joke. 
I said some things I wish I could take back. Here's what I used to say. I used to say, I think the greatest tragedy in life would be to discover that God really doesn't love you. I used to preach, I thought, I can't think of a greater tragedy. And then it hit me. You know what? There's a greater tragedy than that. The greatest tragedy in life is not to discover that God doesn't love you. The greatest tragedy that could ever happen to someone is to believe that God loves you. Even to know that God loves you, but never know and experience the love of God. That's the thing that blows me away. I've told you the story before. I grew up with a dad who uh, was not very affectionate. I had a great dad. I loved my dad, but he wasn't very affectionate. My dad on his own never told me he loved me. He always told me he loved me if I told him first, but he never on his own told me he loved me. He never on his own hugged me. He hugged me back, but he just wasn't that way. He was a very strict disciplinarian. He had a quick temper. You know, and I wanted to believe deep down that dad loved me, but I'm gonna be honest. I grew up just really not too sure. And the day I finally realized and knew the love of my dad was when he dropped me off at college. It was in August. He knew we would not see each other again until Thanksgiving. I had never been away from home, ever. So it was time for mom and dad, my aunt who came down, it was time for them to leave. And here I am, eight hours from home, not coming back for two and a half months. I hugged my mom, I hugged my aunt, and I turned to hug my dad. Dad's looking at the ground. And I see these tears hitting. I'd never seen my dad cry. I'd never seen my dad shed a tear. I see these tears hit the pavement. And on his own, before I could do anything, my dad grabbed me and hugged me, just sobbing. And I knew for the first time, I knew my dad's love. I felt my dad's love. I experienced my dad's love. And I want to tell you, when you come to the cross of Christ and you come to the Christ of, cross, Christ of the cross, that's when you really know the love of God. And by the way, it is a love that surpasses knowledge. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, it, it hit me. You can truly know the love of God. I do truly know the love of God, but listen to me. You can never totally know the love of God. Even when we get to heaven, we will never totally know the love of God. Here's a kind of a good illustration. You have children. Your children know you love them. But they'll never know how much you love them until what? Until they have their child. The first thing, when my, when, when my two sons had their first child, one of the first things they said to me, he said, Dad, now I know how much you love me. Now I know how much mom loves me. Listen, you may doubt the wisdom of God. You may doubt the works of God. You may doubt the ways of God. Don't you ever doubt the love of God. God loves you. So how do we pray? Strengthen me with your spirit. Load me with your love. Third thing, fill me with your fullness. Fill me with your fullness. See, when God strengthens you with his spirit and loads you with his love, here's how you know that happened. He fills you with himself. Listen to verse 19. He says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, let me tell you how we illustrate that every day in our life, whether we are or not. Have you ever gotten so upset with someone? Or have you ever had somebody get so upset with you? They said this, you're just full of it. You ever had anybody say that? Yeah, you have. Don't look at me so holy. You've had it just like I have, right? Yeah, you've had it. Well, let me just tell you something. First of all, they're not paying you a compliment. Okay, that, that's not a positive thing. But you know what they're doing? They're making a true observation because I got news for you. 
We're all full of something. Over 400 years ago, somebody somewhere coined a phrase we still use today to describe the vast majority of people living in the world today. Somewhere, somehow, somebody met somebody that was so conceited, they were so egotistical, they were so self-centered, they said, you're, you're just full of yourself. You're just full of yourself. And you know what? I won't ask you to raise your hands because it'd be unanimous. We all know people who are full of themselves. You say, yeah, I'm married to someone full of themselves, okay? I I got a parent, I got a kid, I got my best, yeah. We all know someone that is full of themselves. You know, they can't see anybody but themselves. All they care about are themselves. They don't love anybody more than themselves. They get up every morning, look in the mirror and sing how great thou art. They are just full of themselves. Well, let me tell you the truth. It's true of everybody in this room right now, including this guy right here this minute. You are either full of yourself or you're full of God. There's no in-between. You can't be half full of self and half full of God. You know why? God doesn't share space with anybody. So you're either full of yourself or you are full of God. And one of the things we ought to pray every day, God, empty me of me and fill me with you. Listen, I want to be so full of God that people see in me the love of God. When I speak, they hear from me the voice of God. When I touch them, they feel for me the power of God. That's what I want. Uh, I was reading the other day about a guy named Pippin Farrars. You've probably never heard of that. Maybe you've heard of free diving. Let me tell you about Pippin Farrars. It's really fascinating. He goes into the ocean with only flippers, a wetsuit, and one breath of air. He set the world book of records. He descended in, listen to this, with one breath of air, He went down 531 feet. His round trip lasted three minutes and 12 seconds. He loaded his lungs with 8.2 liters of air, twice the capacity of a normal human being. At that time, no free dart diver had ever gone farther. And listen to this. He went as deep as as any World War II submarine ever went in World War II. He went that deep. When he came up, and they told him he broke the record. Do you know what he said? It's amazing. I want to go deeper. What? I want to go deeper. And boy, I read that and I thought to myself, you know, when God strengthens you with his spirit and God loads you with his love, you want to go deeper. I'll tell you something I found out. The more you get of God, the more you want of God. The more you get of God, the more you want of God. Honestly, I don't know all that means. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? I don't really know all that means, but I'll tell you this. Every day of my life, I want to be filled with the fullness of God. And can you just agree with me on one thing? How different would our churches be today? How different would they be if every person who claimed to know God lived their life in such a way that the world could see God, hear God, and feel God in the way that they live. Paul said, Lord, strengthen me with your spirit. Load me with your love. Fill me with your fullness. Then he says one last thing. Persuade me of your power. Persuade me of your power. Now, this is where I'm going to preach to me. You just just may be getting in the way. I'm not preaching. I'm preaching to me. How Paul closes this prayer will determine whether or not it changes your life. It will really determine whether or not you even bother to pray. It will even change how you pray. Because here's what we do, and I do it, listen, I'm guilty. 
95% of the time when I pray, I am not focusing on him, I'm focusing on me. I'm not focusing on his power, I'm focusing on my problems. So what we do is we start asking God to do something for us. Paul says, why don't you try this? Why don't you try asking, beginning your prayer by asking God to do something in you? And then why don't you end your prayer by giving God praise for what he's going to do? Now, here's the good news. You not only can't ask God for more than he can do. You ready for this? You can't even think of something greater than God can do. You, you, you can't even imagine it. Now, I know what some of you are saying. I'm ready for you, okay? Yeah, well, sorry to burst your bubble there, Pastor, but I have prayed prayers that God didn't answer. Well, let me correct you. God answers every prayer. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. You say, well, I prayed a prayer that God didn't answer. Well, let me just tell you this. If you prayed a prayer that God didn't answer, it's not because your prayer exceeded God's power. It's because God's plan exceeded your prayer. It has nothing to do with him. You're praying to a God, I want you to know today, you're praying to a God that has no limits to what he knows, where he is, or what he can do. So here's the question Paul wants to ask. Do you believe that God can do anything? He says, to him who is able to do. Can we still put that back up on the screen? Jody, I want to go back there. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. According to the power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Listen. Nothing. I want you to hear this. Nothing reveals more about what you really believe about God than your prayers. That's why Paul says, this is how you ought to end your prayer. The question is this. Now, do you believe God can do anything? Because the true test of what you believe about God is not what you say. It's how you pray. So let me give you a convicting question that just convicts me. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it shames me. If somebody walked in on you one day and they were listening to you pray, would they believe by the way you pray that you believe in a God who can do anything? Now think about that one. Somebody walks in, you're praying. Would they say, listening to you pray, man, he, she believes in a God who can do anything. I mean, do, we, do you and I, do we ever really pray the kind of prayer that can only come true if God showed up? Now, here's, I'm gonna kind of wrap this up, okay? Do you see how powerful this prayer is? Do you see how powerful it could be in your life? You know, when you listen to me preach, I realize you're asking a question every time I get up here and preach. I get it. You're asking a question, okay, that's all well and that's all good, but how does this help me make it in the morning when I'm going to work? How, how does this help me pay my bills? How does this make me, help me work through a difficult marriage? How does it help me raise rebellious kids? I get it. So I'm gonna give you the challenge. I wanna make this real practical. I'm gonna ask you for the next 
30 days. Before you get out of bed in the morning, I wanna ask you to pray this prayer. For the next 30 days, I'm gonna ask you to do this. Before you get out of bed, I want you to ask God, Lord, today, strengthen me with your spirit. Load me with your love. Fill me with your fullness. Persuade me of your power. And you watch, just not, just not how God can change your circumstances, but how God will change you. My friend, Rick Warren, he made a great observation. One of the best things I've ever heard. Rick says a lot of great things. And I love Rick Warren, but, but, but he said something that I thought, that's one of the best things I've ever heard. Now think about this. We didn't choose when we were born. We didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose to whom we were born. We didn't choose our looks. We didn't choose our abilities. God in his sovereignty chose all those things for us. But God has left us one thing, one thing that we have control over, complete control. He has absolutely nothing to do with it. It is all up to you. And it is all up to me. And here's the one thing every day you can choose. It is how much you choose to believe God. You see, when you give that tithe of your income, even though you can't pay your bills, you know what you're saying? I choose today to believe you. When you choose today, I don't know how this marriage can make it. I'm miserable, but I'm gonna choose today to believe you. I don't know exactly how I'm gonna approach my one. I don't know exactly how I'm gonna share the gospel with my next door neighbor, but today I choose to believe you. And I am telling you, when you finally make up your mind, you know I choose to believe you. You're gonna today, right now, I believe you're gonna strengthen me with your spirit. I believe you're gonna load me with your love. I believe you're gonna fill me with your fullness. And today I'm persuaded of your power. Let's believe in a God who can do more than we ask or think. And then let's go live every day of our lives strengthened by his spirit, loaded with his love, filled with his fullness, persuaded of his power. And then let's watch what God will do, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those who are all around us. Let's pray together.